Bibles to Romans chapter 6 this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Romans. And this morning, Lord willing, we're going to cover verses 1 through 14 as we pretty much pick it up where we left off last week regarding Paul's just amazing declaration that as Christians, um, it's just a, a so astounding to us that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And what that means is that as a Christian, you can't out-sin God's grace. And we blow it and we, we struggle and we stumble. And yet the Bible says that the righteous man falls down seven times and yet he gets up. You know, this morning, I find myself, I know you guys find yourself in a battle. And it's a, it's a terrible battle, that battle against our, our self, that battle against sin. And, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes I just want to go home. I just want to go to heaven because I hate this battle that I have with myself and the things that I do and the things that I say. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing. You know, we're in that war. And, and, and yet the Bible says, though, to those who are in Christ, to those who are his, that you know, even though you sin and then you sin and then you sin again, that, that God's grace covers that sin and that you are forgiven, that you are clean, that you are Christians, that you belong to him, that you can't out sin God's grace. That's the message so clear from Paul. But, you know, when that message goes out, a lot of times people get offended by that. And Man, you keep preaching that kind of stuff and people are going to go out there and they're going to continue in sin that grace may abound. And, you know, that's where we find ourselves here in Romans chapter six. Paul doesn't want to distort the gospel. What I shared with you is true that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But what we should see in looking at this is because of God's goodness, because of God's forgiveness, because of God's grace. We don't continue in sin. As a matter of fact, we look really at the technicalities of salvation and we see that God is going to actually change our life, you guys. And we see that here so clearly in the things that have literally taken place when we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because look what it says here in verse 1. It's asking the question, okay, this grace is so amazing. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so then Paul anticipates their objections. And so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? You know, again, this book has taught us so clearly that truth, the salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we've seen that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, this salvation, you guys, that we have is absolutely amazing. The life, the love, literally, technically, theologically means that as a Christian, the more we sin, the more grace God gives. And so if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the simple, solid, total, true faith in Jesus Christ, then God completely covers you as Christians. And we need to know that. It's very important. This is Paul's gospel. This is God's gospel. And what it is, is a net to catch us that when we fall, this truth is intended to grant us the peace that surpasses understanding that tells me I'm a child of God. But unfortunately, there were those in Paul's day who misinterpreted this to be a license to sin. And what we're going to see today is that that's not the truth. 
Shall we continue in sin, he asked, that grace may abound? And the answer is certainly not. Other translations say, God forbid, by no means. No, no, what a ghastly thought, if that's within our heart. You see, the goodness of God should never lead us to repeat rebellion. The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. That's what we read in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. You see, the life of a disobedient disciple is actually unnatural. It's illogical. It's very confusing for the Christian. And so Paul here asks that question in verse 2. Look what he says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's really the reality of where we're at. And Paul's going to go on to explain and elaborate on this important truth in our text this morning. We're going to see three things. Number one, knowing. Number two, uh, reckoning. And then number three, yielding. And it begins really with knowledge. Because look what it says there in verse three. Or do you not know? There it is. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We're going to see this word know or knowing uh, three times in our text today in verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9. And it indicates that Paul wants us to understand basic Bible doctrine. Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty is dependent on doctrine, you know, and the thing is this, if Satan can keep a Christian ignorant, then Satan will keep a Christian impotent. We need to know, as you read right here in verse three, that as many of us, it says right there, as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Do we know that? Have you guys really thought about that? You know, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross that you were co-crucified with him. That when he died, we died. That's the theological truth. That's, the, that's really the objective reality of what's gone on. You know, a lot of times I think the struggles that we have as Christians is because we don't really know things that are true. I wonder if we really know that, that we died with Christ. Do we know that? You know, a lot of times those struggles, because we don't know the word of God. Later in Romans 6, verse 16, Paul asks another question. Do you not know? In chapter 7, verse 1, the same thing. Do you not know? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God? 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And on and on and on. Throughout his epistles, I encourage you, circle Every time he says, do you not know? Because there you'll find a basic Bible doctrine that is so important to know in order that your life would change. The living is a result of the learning. You see, the duty is a result of the doctrine. Even James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, sometimes our immorality is partially due to ignorance. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the work of God in order that he might make us men and women who are like God. 
I mean, I don't know how you guys are doing today. I don't know how your life is. I don't know how you are as a young person, as an older person. You've been in the faith for 20 years, maybe for 20 minutes. I don't know where you're at. But how are you doing? Are you living a life of obedience? Is that your heart? Is that your passion? You know, are we being men of God? Are we being women of God? You know, if not, believe it or not, maybe it might be because of the things that we don't know. You know, Paul right here wants us to know something very important. Again, look at verse 3. That as many as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. You see, the main point is this. It's that word identification. You see, when we were baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, something we expressed to the world when we were water baptized What happened at that point in time, you guys, is we were identified with Jesus Christ completely. Totally, man. You remember that time? You guys, as Christians, you've been water baptized, right? If not, you're living in disobedience, man. You need to be water baptized, okay? When you were baptized, remember what they did? They put you under the water. They held you down, right? Depending on how many sins you had, right? (laughs) They buried you. It's a picture of what really took place. They put you under the water, And they buried you. You died. The old man died. And that's really the point that we see in this right here. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we were baptized, we were identified with him. Again, not just water baptism, but salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And so that's the baptism that Paul is speaking of right here. And that identification with Jesus includes, number one, death, number two, burial, and number three, his resurrection. Because again, look what it says right there in verse three, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, as a Christian, we are in Christ. That's our position. Warren Wiersbe said this, I am in Christ, identified with him. Therefore, whatever happened to Christ has happened to me. When he died, I died. When he rose, I rose with him. I am even seated with him in the heavenlies. And God wants us to know that. No, too many people are what we would call uh, betweeners. Um, They live between Egypt and Canaan, saved but not satisfied. They live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You know, we need to go all the way, you guys. We need to die with the Lord on Friday. We need to be buried with him. And then we need to know that as Christ rose from the dead, so we did as well. And that's why when a Christian continues in sin, it's very confusing. You know, Christians of all people should be walking in newness of life. Because not only did Jesus pay sin's penalty, but he also broke sin's power. Christ's righteousness is not just imputed to us, it is imparted to us. He died for me, and I died with him. 
That's what we read here. And it even is made clear. Look what it says in verse 6. Knowing this, again, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know, what? what's the problem, you guys? What is it that bums you out? What is it that jacks everything up? What is it that just ruins the day or the week or the month? It's sin, huh? And you can blame it on the devil if you want. And sometimes he is partially to blame. Not always. But we don't have to live in that sin. We don't have to continue in that sin. Because God has set us free. We are When we look at it from a technical standpoint, a theological standpoint, we are completely free from sin. We're not free to sin. We're free from sin. And so our life should be totally different. Not just not doing the bad stuff anymore. I mean, you shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be getting high. You shouldn't be living in sexual sin. You shouldn't be cursing and getting angry with each other and not, you know, doing those things. But there's also other things. They're not just sins of commission. There are sins of omission. There are sins that we should be doing that we're not doing. And therefore, it's sin and all those things. God is saying, man, you really need to just, you know, understand who you are in Christ. And when you know this, then that learning really does lead to living. And sometimes I think we need to meditate on the fact that, you know, we've been completely identified with Christ. Paul wants us to know, we read right here, that our old man, says right there in verse 6, was crucified with him. Okay, ladies, that's not your husband. That's not the old man that he's speaking about, right? (laughs) What is the old man? Those of you guys who've been Christians for a long time, What is the old man? You should know this. We should know these things. That our old man was crucified with Christ. Who is the old man? You know, there's a lot of different opinions in that. Some of you might think it's your your old nature, your sin nature, but that's not what it is. Why? Because your sin nature still rears its ugly head. Others to believe it's literally your body. It's my body. You know, that's my old man. But as we'll see today even, you know, your body is neutral. Your body is not bad. That's not the old man because your body can be used for good or bad. You know, the Gnostics were the ones who believed that matter was evil. See, it's not your sin nature that he's talking about here. And it's not your literal body that he's talking about here. We as Christians, we, we need to know what he's talking about here. And what is that? Well, the old man is actually, it's simply your old life. Your old life that's been crucified with Christ. He, she, that person in the past was crucified with Christ. And we really need to catch that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, 17, that, you know what? The old life, all that stuff, man, it's all passed away. And everything is brand new now. And we really need to have that in our heart. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. And Colossians 3.3, it says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ. The old man, the old man, that life is over. Egypt is ended. God wants us to know that. And the reason is, notice again what he says there in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Here's the purpose, that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, there's another question. What is the body of sin? 
Well, now we're speaking about the sin nature. You see, that sin nature, that, you know, inside of you, man, that wants to get you so upset, you know, when certain people push those buttons or whatever it might be. You know, the agitation, the bitterness, the anger, you know, all the things, the hatred even that is there. It's because of the old man. He's still there with that inclination for evil. And so how can we overcome? Lord, how can I have victory in this situation? Lord, how can I, like you, did you ever think about when Jesus was on the cross and they, they, they mocked him, they beat him, they spit on him, they nailed him to the cross? Do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, when I get beat, when I get nailed, when I get spit on, what do I do? I, I spit back usually, man. I get so angry. I get upset. I say, it's not fair. And God is just saying, you know what? That's your sin nature. That's your sin nature that does that. You need to know that, Manny, you died. That man is dead. The old guy, he's, he's dead. The new man is alive now. So that this sin nature can be rendered inoperative so that we can do things the way that God wants us to do, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, for you wives to submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, the Bible says, for parents to raise their children in the ways of the Lord, not provoke them to wrath, for children to literally obey their parents, knowing that there's a promise in that, for us single people to stay pure, for you workers to work for Christ, for you to share the gospel, for you to do all the things that you know, God is calling us to do. You know, the book of Acts, Ray was sharing about the book of Acts, it's still today. It really is. See, we need to go back and we need to become that New Testament church. You know, see, the body of sin, it's the sin nature within us. It's the flesh. And that flesh, it just bombards our bodies for bad. And what happens is sleepiness becomes laziness or hunger becomes gluttony. Healthy sexual desires become sexual perversion. And what God is saying right here is the flesh, all those things, they need to be done away with. The Greek word means to render idle, unemployed, inactive, inoperative. It's to cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency, to deprive of force, influence, or power. How, Lord, how can I overcome this life of sin? And God says, Here, here's your answer. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You take it. You know it. You learn it. You'll change. And you'll find that you'll have victory in your life. It's so important for us to know that our old man was crucified, that he died, that the old life of Egypt died with Christ so that the flesh will then be rendered inoperative. It says right there, notice again in verse 6, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You ever think about that? When you blow it again in that same area? You ever think about that? That what's really going on? is that you're making yourself a slave of sin? That's not a pretty thought. It's an awful thought. Sin is such a terrible, terrible master. And the bottom line is, is that way too many times it finds a willing servant, even among the saints. Because look what it says there in verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. 
Now, Paul right here, you guys, we need to know this. He's not describing an experience. He is stating a fact. Children of the Father, Christians who belong to Christ, you are freed from sin. You see? John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 8, verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, we are free not to sin, but from sin. And in looking at this, we really need to know that. The Bible says in Matthew one twenty one that Mary, she, would bring forth her son, and that they would call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. What would a life of obedience look like in your heart? What, what would it look like in your Mondays and in your Tuesdays and in your Wednesdays, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? What would a life of obedience look like in you? You know, don't get me wrong. Christians continue to sin, but, you know, we're, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. People should be able to look at you and say, and this is our heart's desire, there is a godly man and there is a godly woman. They should be able to come over your house at any time to bust in on you and see you as a man of integrity or woman of integrity. You know how it is when the, you know, the lights are out and the doors are closed, the cockroaches come out, right? <laughs> and then when the light goes on, boom, they go away. And a lot of times that's how we're living our life. You know, we're just like, you know, at church, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, you know. But what do you like at home? What do we like at home? If you find yourself and you continues to struggle and struggle and struggle, and here you are as a Christian, man, you know what? You're not getting Romans chapter 6. And we need to come back. And the living happens how? By learning, by knowing that I am dead, just like Christ died. And I love his example. I love who he is. I love what he did, that he came down and died. Uh, so I'm dead. And so that this old man, this old nature that's always trying to you know, push buttons and make me feel this way and make me agitated and make me upset or whatever it might be in your life, you know, that that one would be rendered inoperative. Like we saw in our definition, unemployed, sorry, there's no work here for you to do. Why? Because I know who I am. I'm dead. And you are no longer employed in this house. And it changes your life. You know, we're not slaves to sin. We don't have to continue in that lifestyle. We have been set free. And so can a Christian be an alcoholic? No. Can't. Well, does a Christian, can he get drink or drug? Yes, he can. And so someone might ask, well, then what's the difference? Well, the difference is this, that the Christian has a choice. If he sins, it's not because he has no power to overcome. That's the non-Christian. The Christian has been set free. And so we identify with Christ's death. We identify with what he did there. And, and notice also, as he goes on right here, he elaborates more on the life and resurrection there in verse 8. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
You see, the life that Paul speaks about here does include life after death, but we need to remember that it also includes life in the here and the now. And I guess one of the things that the Lord is really trying to show me, and I pray that it's just, you know, man, something that you're, you're beginning to see as well as Christians, man, is that although we can't be perfect on this side of time, we can be proper. And that's what God wants for our life. He really does. You know, God wants us to have life and, and that more abundantly. We died with Christ and one day we'll live with him. Therefore, here's the bottom line. We should be like him. Death is done. Life has begun. We need to know that Jesus died, rose again. He dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And we know that about ourselves as well. That as people who have identified with Christ, we've been united with him. And that is really today just the academia of it, really. You know, it's just like the knowledge, really, that you know that you are completely unified and identified with Jesus. How do you know that? Because that's what the Bible says. And so when Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was buried, you were buried. And when Jesus rose again, you and I rose again. See, we need to know that. And right now, I'm just asking this, that you would place that into your heads. It's just head knowledge right now, but that's okay. That's where it needs to start. We need to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and minds and strength. And you know this. Just like you know two plus two is four, you know you died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. And you rose with Christ. So that the old man, that one, he's dead and renders the body of sin, that flesh, inoperative. And so it brings us to our next step. After knowing, the next thing is reckoning. Because look what it says there in verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you're like, wait a minute, dude, I don't get it. I thought you just told me that I was dead. Well, now do, why do I have to reckon myself to be dead? It doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing because like I said, the learning leads to living. And in one sense, it has to start first of all in our brain, but now it needs to move into our hearts. And we need to reckon, it says, yourselves to be dead. Now, in some places, the word reckon means, I suppose, you know, I I reckon I should mosey on along, huh, mama, you know, and... And that type of reckoning is not what we're speaking of right here. That kind of reckoning is kind of means I, I think or I guess, but that's not what we read here. As a matter of fact, the Greek word means to count. It means to calculate. It means to put into one's account. Here, bottom line is, if you were to connect the dots and make application of the truth that you know in your mind, it means to really believe that what God says in his word is totally true in your life. It means to swallow it. It means to digest it. 
It means to hold it, to grip it, to grasp it, to hide it in your heart. That as Christians, there's no cause to continue in sinful behavior because we are in Christ and just as he died for sin, we died to sin and rose from the dead and we are to reckon ourselves alive to God. I mean, it's one thing to know it, right? But it's another thing to reckon it to be true. And that's the difference, you guys. You know, I think there's probably some people who know, well, I'm not supposed to do that. And yeah, Christ has given me the power over that. But they haven't taken that next step after knowing to reckon, to reckon that, to believe the Bible to be true in my heart. You see, if we don't reckon, then our life will be a wrecking. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of lives that are like that, man. Unfortunately, and your heart just goes out to them so much, man. You don't have to live like that any longer. You don't have to live as a pauper. You're rich in Christ. And your heart goes out to even a lot of times the Christians that find themselves, you know, in that situation. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to read. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough really even to believe to a certain extent. It needs to go farther. It needs to go deeper. You know, we've got to connect the dots from our head to our heart and reckon really radically, totally believe God who teaches us today in his word that the old man is dead. The new man is a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away Behold, all things have become new. That's what we have to understand. How many of you here have ever gotten a new car, just out of curiosity? Isn't it cool, man? It smells so good, and you're like, man, you know what? This thing is, it's probably not the best deal out there. I don't know if I would buy a new car anymore, but I know that in the past, it's like, wow, man, just brand new, not Messed up, you know, no questions about previous owners or anything like that. You know, it's got six miles on it or whatever. You're excited about that. Well, the same is true about your life as a Christian. It's totally new, you guys. It's something that when we look at and we see, we understand, Lord, thank you so much. Because, you know, everything is brand new now. And and that should bring an excitement to our life. You know, we're knowing these things. And then God says, I really want you to reckon this, to calculate, to count it, to make sense of it. And then that leads us to the third and final point this morning. From knowing, then to reckoning, and then to yielding. Because that's what he says next in verse 12. Therefore, here it is, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Here's the thing. And I always like to get a little dramatic on this because I just think about this all the time. It's constantly in my mind. One day I will die. You will die. Or we will get raptured. One day our life is going to be over. And at that point in time, I want no woulda, coulda, shouldas. I want no regrets. 
And the only way I'll have no regrets is if at this time I have no reserves. If I continue in sin, that grace may abound. I might get in by the skin of my teeth and I thank God for the blood that does cover me, but I will have a saved soul and a wasted life. See, a lot of times Billy Sunday said the problem with Christians is that they treat sin like a, you know, a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. No, sin is, is bad. A man calls it an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect or a disease. God calls it defiance. Man calls it a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls it an error. God calls it an enmity. Man calls it fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls it an infirmity. God calls it iniquity. Man looks at it as a luxury. God looks at it as leprosy. Man calls it a liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man sees it as trifle. God sees it as a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it weakness. God calls it wickedness. You see, that's what sin is. And knowing that, and if we continue to live in that, we're going to miss out on so much, you guys. God is calling us to live holy lives. And so in looking at this, knowing who we are, identified with Christ, old man dead, so that the sin nature can be rendered inoperative, the new man just living in that you know, life, we know that's the way it is. Therefore, we reckon that. We believe the Bible to be true. And then what we do is we go out those doors right there. We begin to live life right now. Just, man, totally giving him our bodies, giving him your hands, giving him your arms, giving him your eyes, your lips, your tongue, your, your mind, giving him your heart, giving him your legs, giving him your feet, giving him your time, giving him everything, yielding to him, presenting to him your bodies as instruments of righteousness. And we go out and we live our life just like that. From the mind to the heart to the body. You know, the old King James uses the word yielding instead of present or presenting. And I kind of like that. Will you yield to God your life? We're going to see it again next week in verses 16 and 19. And to yield your guys, to, to yield your life, it means to place at one's disposal. It means to present as a sacrifice. And that's really the message of Romans. You read William Tyndale's commentary. That's how he ends the whole thing. It's all about this great salvation that we have so that we can yield our bodies to him. As a matter of fact, in Romans 12, verse 1, after that you know, whole teaching on salvation, Paul says, I beg you. And I almost feel sometimes like I'm begging you. And that's okay. I'm begging you that you would present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to the Lord. That's really where we should be as Christians. We're not to let sin reign, but I, I surrender my life and I let him reign. And even pray, man, pray, God help me in this area. Psalm 19 verse 13 says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
Psalm 119, verse 133, the Bible says, Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. You know, we see that right here in verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, the word instrument is an interesting word. It can be translated as a tool or a weapon. And you see, this is the way it works, you guys. God wants us to use the members of the body as tools for building his kingdom and weapons for fighting his enemies. And so when you give God your your eyes and you're not watching that crazy stuff that's out there nowadays, you know, and you're you're watching things that are edifying, you're keeping your eyes on things that are good and, and godly. You know, Philippians tells us what the things we're supposed to, you know, meditate on. And you're giving God these ears to hear God's word to worship Him with your lips and you're giving Him your fingers and your hands and your feet, then what ends up happening is you are going to be used as a tool to build up His kingdom and as a weapon to fight His enemies. Isn't that awesome? It's so awesome. It really is. This is what it's all about. Knowing, reckoning, and then yielding. You know, God used the mouths and tongues of the prophets. We read that in the scriptures. Paul's feet were dedicated to the furtherance of the gospel as he walked, literally walked, mile after mile after mile, sharing the gospel with the lost. John's eyes saw the heavenly vision and his fingers communicated that vision. The members of our body, bottom line is, should be yielded to Yahweh. If not, Those members can make a mess, huh? If you don't reckon right, again, I shared with you guys earlier, you'll be wrecking everything up. And so Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, this is what it says. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. No, let those members of your body, everything, be sanctified and set apart to him. You know, probably one of the toughest members to manage is the tongue, huh? Isn't it? How much trouble do you get in by the things that you say that you shouldn't have said? (laughs) That creates so much problems. As a matter of fact, James, in chapter 3, verse 5, he said, Even so, the tongue, it's a little member and boasts great things, but man, it starts a huge fire. And so he says, Give God your members. Give God your life. Yield to Him everything. As you're knowing these things, I think it's great to know that. And you need to know that because you can't go too far if you just, all you know is the lie. But now you know the truth. And then you take that further and you reckon that to be true. Well, you know what? It's not just something that Paul wrote to the Romans that, you know, way, way, way back then. No, this is true about me. I believe it totally with my heart. And then you begin to act on it. You begin to act on it. And God just uses your life in a tremendous way. You know, bottom line is we're living in the last days. Some people, unfortunately, don't realize that. And they're not stepping it up. They're not really serving the Lord the way they should be. And it breaks your heart, man. But what we see, what God wants, what God wants right now, is for all of us here, you guys, to really begin to see that my life does not belong to me, that my life is His, 
And as we realize that, then we live a life that's not perfect, but proper. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. You know, when Warren Wiersbe wrote his uh, commentary on this section right here, he called it dying to live. And that's really a good description of really what this is all about, you guys. Dying to live. Honestly, if I could just ask you this question right now. Who do you live for? Is God really the one that is leading your life? Is he your master passion? Is it all about him? It really should be. Oh, man, you're just radical. You know, just, you're overboard. You're a fanatic. No, I'm not. Your life, every day, everything about your life is his. And you got to know that, you guys. Because if not, you're going to live for yourself. And if you live for yourself, I'm promising you right now and I'm telling you right now that in the end, you will be sorry. If you're a Christian and you live for yourself, you're going to be ashamed. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you continue to live for yourself and not for Jesus Christ, then you might find yourself even one day hearing those words from his lips, depart from me, for I never knew you. So you've got to make that decision today to live for the Lord and just to have that heart. Lord, you know what? Uh, it's not easy. I know I can't do this on my own, but I want to live a life of total obedience to you. I'm not going to make my own decisions. I'm not going to do my own thing. Lord, I'm going to find out what your word says. And as I do, Lord, I'm going to just take that sin. Lord, please help me to take that sin and just to let it go. Why? Because I want to be the man that you want me to be, you know. Because sin, I'm telling you real quick in closing, it messes everything up. It really does, man. I was reading this story about these uh, young uh, college guys, and they were... um, I don't know, playing a a joke on their friend. And so what they did was they took this stinky cheese. It was real stinky. I forgot the name of it. And they combed it on his mustache, man, you know. And so he woke up and, oh, woke up, man. Looks around and, man, it stinks in here. (laughs) He goes into the next room, it stinks in here. Goes to the next building, it stinks in here. He didn't realize the problem was that it didn't stink over there, there, there. It wasn't them. It was him. (laughs) He had this stinky cheese stuck to his mustache. And I think a lot of times, you know, we walk around and we see all the flaws and all the things and all the stuff. And, you know, we're blaming them and we're blaming her and we're blaming him. When all along, you know what? The problem is a lot closer than we might realize. It's our own sin. It's our own sin that stinks and needs to be forsaken today, you guys. God wants us to lift up clean hands, pure hearts, to live our life for him. Don't tolerate it, you guys, not for a moment. Why? Because if you do, you will be sorry. To fall into sin is human, you know, and and we're going to do that from time to time. But to remain in that sin is demonic. We can't. God, help us to be holy people. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word that teaches us the truth, Lord. We know, 
who we are in Christ. We identify with you, Lord, and I just pray that we would go from knowing to reckoning to truly yielding our life, Lord. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to turn the other cheek. Lord, help us, I pray, to be like you, Lord. That as we go today, Father, that we would just be uh, slow to speak, quick to hear, Lord, slow to wrath. That our lives, Father, would be significantly different from the rest of the world and that we would live holy lives. Not doing those things that are forbidden by you and doing those things that are commanded by you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you. And I pray, Father, if there is anyone here, Lord, today who uh, is struggling maybe even with sin, Lord God, I pray that you would just be the one to speak to them. We fall into sin. That's what man does. And we grieve at sin. That's what saints do. But God, you forgive sin. And I know you're able to do that even today. If there is anyone here, Lord, today who does not know you, if there is anyone here today who's not a Christian, when they get honest, when they get real, they know they're not really a Christian, then today I pray, Lord, that you would change their hearts, that they would turn from their sin, Lord, and that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day Lord, that you would write their name in the book of life and give them strength. Give us all strength, Lord, to overcome these things. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray you be with us as we sing and as we go today throughout the week. Lord, may you fill the hearts of your precious people. And we ask together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.